This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. The international break is over, but no one told Liverpool we'll be diving into exactly where it all went wrong on Saturday. Theo Squires, David Lynch and Rich Garner are all with me this afternoon and we'll dive straight in with you, Theo. I know you were at the game like myself and I suppose it's hard to know where to start, really. So many issues for Liverpool to solve. I'm not quite sure that there's one that stands out above the rest. It just was not a particularly good afternoon all round for the Reds. No, it wasn't. Uh, they started slowly. Yet another game where they conceded the first goal. And they just looked sluggish. They're making silly errors. We're talking about this international break where they're not played for so long that it could be a blessing in disguise for them because they'd actually be able to just work on the training pitch, get some of these issues out. And it seems the exact same issues are there, the ones that we saw against Napoli and games before that. And it's hard to point your finger at it because it's so much that's going wrong now. And the only thing that we can say is, well, players are coming back from injuries. So you can't really use that as a big excuse anymore. They're just out of form, low on confidence, fatigued possibly after last season. But you're seeing Trent Alexander-Arnold make a couple of mistakes. And we know he's obviously low on confidence so far this season. Joel Matip's not covering him. Jordan Henderson's not covering him for those first two goals. And then Virgil van Dijk makes an error for the third. Um, it's, it was a strange game in the fact that Liverpool actually came from 2-0 down. But there was never a, a roar inside Anfield to really spur them on to do that. You never expected that Liverpool would forge this comeback. And then when they were 3-2 up, or you didn't think they were going to hold on to it. When it was 3 all, you didn't think they were going to find a late winner. It's like that belief has gone from them at the moment. Even Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference that he thought that Brighton would probably equalise and it was 3-2. So that says there is something wrong with this Liverpool camp at the moment and he's got to work very hard to find the answers. He, he did say all the momentum was lost from the Ajax game with the international break. So maybe the fact that they're playing again tomorrow with such a limited turnaround will play into their hands now that they can just get out of their system. Thinking Battle of Britain against Rangers under the lights and for European night. That's got to inspire the players of the crowd. Otherwise, it's going to be a long next six weeks until the World Cup when Liverpool are just struggling through without answers. They pointed out in a press conference it took them four months to find the answers without the centre-backs a couple of years ago. Hopefully, it's not going to take them four months to get the answers this time. Yes, indeed. We've got plenty to, to go through on the podcast today. We are recording this live, so if you've got any questions, do stick them into the comments section. We'll get to the best of those as we go along. And I suppose, Lynchy, the, the thing is, like I say, there's there's loads of, of bits that we could go into. I suppose we could could start at the back and, and move forwards. Alison Becker didn't really do anything wrong, was, was excellent. But then from then onwards, it kind of gets a little bit tricky. We've defended Trent Alexander-Arnold a lot this season in terms of his defending, but it just didn't look to me like either he knew what he was meant to be and, and where he was meant to be on the pitch, but also his teammates as well. We've seen a bit of a switch with him so far this season, but it, it really didn't work. And that was really glaringly obvious to me on Saturday. Yeah, I think, you know, it basically, his form has been, you know, it's been hotly debated as of the course of the international break. And I thought, you know, coming back, maybe could use that, you know, in a positive sense and, and sort of go out there and think, you know, I'm going to prove people wrong. I'm going to show why I should be England's first choice. Uh, 
think we'll have to uh, remove David and, and hopefully he can come back later. But we'll uh, we'll continue on the, the same vein. I'll come to you, Rich, on the, the same topic, topic. Obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold and his performances. I'm sure you are probably in agreement with what Lynchy was about to say there. Well, until he turned into R2-D2, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not great Trent at the moment, is it? it um, and it, when a player is, you know, he's struggling to form a little bit, it's one thing when it's isolated to just the team, the club itself, talking about it. But the very fact that he's had this wider England um, news story, shall we call it, and a, a topic of debate uh, on a more national scale, it's just putting in a much sharper focus than I'm sure he would have liked. Um, but if there was any sort of inkling that perhaps some of this uh, confidence issue uh, was was playing on him at the moment, then I think that was blatantly evidence against Brighton on um, on Saturday. I did feel a little bit sorry for him on the, I think it was the second goal. He's tried to control it on his chest and it hasn't quite come off. And he's been, he was, he was punished quite ruefully for that, you know what I mean? It's we wouldn't we wouldn't expect him to just head that away ordinarily. That is the type of ball he would probably try and control and and, and start a move. So I did feel a bit like I did feel a little bit sorry for him there when he when he looks out. Um, that's the type of things that happens. But um, unfortunately, you know, there was other aspects of the game that that, that, that just weren't great, and Brighton were just finding it far too easy to get round the back of them and. And you know, many many wayward passes, air kicks, the the lot. You know what I mean? There was one one situation, was there? I think he did two air kicks in the space of about five seconds after they got round the back of them. And and as as a fullback of limited ability compared to Trent Alexander Arnold, I know what it feels like uh, when you have a situation like that, and and, and you're thinking to yourself in that spare moment, blimey, let's just you know let's get rid of this and and reset. And unfortunately. Uh, for Trent, he plays uh, right in the uh, at the sharp end of of uh, European football, so he's constantly under that pressure. Difficult moment for him, and um, as we well know, it's not like you can just take him out of the team um, because there's, there's not really well you can, but you're going to change the way that you play if you do that. Um, we're leaving the ground on um, on Saturday. It, it was put to me, or oh, why didn't he just? Um, Chuck Gomez in and, and just you know shut up shot down that side once we had the lead, and I don't know if that's what he was trying to do on the other flank with with Milner or or if he just if he was just sick of the sight of Simicus I don't know but but you know it, hindsight's a wonderful thing maybe he thought he would be all right but unfortunately that wasn't the case he's just going to have to uh, take it on the chin isn't he Trent you know what I mean he's, we know what a great player he is it doesn't matter what people outside the club think. Um, supporters of, of bats Trent because they know what he's capable of and, and, and what a great servant he's been for this club so far so yeah tricky period for him but um, when it comes to being out of form let's be honest he's in pretty good company isn't he? I will say um, Brighton's formation did make it difficult for him they got their tactics spot on with that, that wing back system I know Klopp said that Liverpool didn't really know what to expect from them with the new manager and it took them too long to adapt to that system by the time they did adapt they are already 2-0 down, but there were so many times where you'd see Trossard and uh, was it Spusian, whoever the left wing back was called, running at Trent and he's on his own against them because Matip wasn't coming over or Henderson wasn't coming over. We know Salah doesn't really track back too much. So that's always going to be hard for a player who's low on confidence when you've got two players running at you and you don't know whether to hold your ground or close up and then they go in behind you. He needs help. When you're low on confidence, you need help. 
Um, and it's just telling that it, it could have been his day, like another day. Um, he scores that free kick right at the end and he's the hero. That was the narrative we were all waiting for in the press box, that despite everything, Trent Alexander-Arnold wrestles three points at Liverpool. It just wasn't to be. But then there's still things about his positioning, not in terms of defending, just when you look at him, he's like the furthest player forward or he's in the number 10 position. He's not sprinting to get back. It just makes you scratch your head and wonder what's going on. Klopp did this uh, big tactical talk in the embargoed section of his press conference last week when he was talking about Trent's role and how they um, have this high-risk pressing defensive play where he's so far forward. And yes, it is not easy to get him behind it. But when it does, like one time, it will cause you problems. But normally Liverpool win that high press ball and they take the problem out altogether. But just not happening enough for him at the moment. The teams are getting in behind them. And because it's happening repeatedly, we're seeing it as this recurring issue. But you need your players to be confident and helping each other out and covering every blade of grass to make sure you win that high ball so that you've not got the gaps in behind, that you're not leaving players outnumbered and they're getting in behind you. That's just something that's not happening at the moment. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, plenty of, of issues for Liverpool to solve and lots of them interconnected as well. We'll move on to the midfield and I'll bring you back in, Lynchy. Hopefully you uh, sound a little, a little bit different to what you did last time you uh, you tried to speak. But loads and, and loads of comments really about the, the midfield. And I suppose the, the fundamental issue with it is that we've said all season long, maybe the balance has been disrupted by Harvey Elliott. Maybe when Thiago and Fabinho are back together, it'll look better. But this was Thiago, Fabinho and Henderson. And it was as bad, if not worse, as what it's ever been. Yeah, that was it. The the, the hope was that, you know, every time the uh, the injuries uh, got a little bit better, I, I presume you can hear me now and Theo's not just cheering because I'm just making complete sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 when the injuries got better, that Liverpool's midfield would start to look better. And um, yeah, just hasn't been the case. That was just, just as shambolic as ever, really. The other day, the, the ease with which Brighton were passing out from the back and, and through into gaps in midfield and finding that sort of number 10 areas out wide, um, they were just picking that out every single time under completely no pressure whatsoever, um, which suggests, I suppose, if it's if it's not a personnel issue, then, you know, you, you start to question other things like, is it general fitness of the squad? Are they able to press as effectively they were previously? Or is it a tactical issue that, that Liverpool have effectively been worked out? And I think... You know, Virgil van Dijk sort of touched on that a little bit, didn't he? In the in the mix zone, speaking after the match, when we spoke to him, he, he said, "You know, teams are teams are sort of adapting to us. They're, they're finding a way of of getting those runners past us and, and working away through our press, and and that's really worrying for Liverpool because you know if they don't have you know they don't have a personnel solution for that, then they really have to sort of reform how they do things tactically. And and these are the sort of things that you want to be doing in pre-season. You want, you want to come into the season with a really good idea of how you're going to play, having honed it over the summer when the players have come back. And now Liverpool are having to do it on the fly. And it sort of reminds you that Brendan Rodgers quote about sort of building the plane while it's in the air. Um, you know, the season's underway now. We've got so many crucial games coming up and, and so many crucial games already gone that, that Liverpool have done poorly in. And, and Jürgen Klopp's probably going to have to come up with a new sort of tactical framework that makes these players look better or, you know, gets them back to the level they were at. And that's, you know, yeah, hugely concerning. Midfield is, is just as big an issue now as it's ever been. I'll stay with you, Lynchy, because you mentioned there in terms of trying to, to find somewhere a little bit different tactically or, or kind of trying to mix things up a little bit for, for Liverpool. But I suppose what Jürgen Klopp and, and Pep Linders are probably thinking is that they'll double down. They've got this system that they want to use. They've got new players that they want to integrate. 
I do wonder whether they're trying to do too much at once with the positional moves of the number nine, the, the fullback, all these different things have, have happened at once. But I, I suppose for them is they're, they're going to have trust in themselves, aren't they? They're still going to think that if this works, it's got to be worth the benefit because up to now, the disruption it's caused, you know, I, I'm just thinking that the payoff of this has got to be huge. They've got to really, really believe in this to keep sticking with it because up, up to now, it's, it's, it's just looked completely dysfunctional and, and confused. Well, they might want to double down in that. And I suppose, you know, managers and, and coaches at the, the very top level, you've got to have some sort of level of incredible confidence in yourself and self-belief. And, you know, that that's a big part of, of, of managing at that level, I suppose. So maybe they will stick with it. But if they do, I think Liverpool will get thumped at Arsenal as a starting point. I think, you know, I, I think there's too many big games against teams who are, you know, full of confidence, full of quality who will just, you know, if they come up against Liverpool as it is and this tactical framework doesn't just suddenly click into place, which it's, it's surely not going to at this point, um, then, you know, I think Liverpool are going to get torn apart. And then, you know, I, I don't want to throw forward too much, but I'm looking at this Arsenal game with some serious trepidation at the moment because Liverpool are, what is it, 14 points behind at the moment, albeit with a game in hand? Um, you know, and, and you, sorry, 11, 11 points behind with a game in hand, isn't it? Um, but could be 14 if they lose at Arsenal. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, this isn't just, OK, we've made these changes and, and we, we made our buys in the summer and we had to transition the team slightly and make some changes. And therefore, we didn't challenge an incredible Manchester City for the title. This is, OK, we made all these changes and suddenly we're not finishing the top four, which then risks the future rebuild and all the ideas you had about, OK, well, we'll, we'll sort the midfield issue out next summer. We'll do, we'll do all these things. You know, if you're not in the Champions League, you suddenly become completely less, you know, much less appealing to potential signings. And, you know, that's that's position Liverpool find themselves in. I don't think, you know, they can afford to be stubborn here. This, this is about getting results on the board as soon as they possibly can, because at the moment they, they look nowhere near it. And they, they're coming up against some quality opposition who are going to exploit them time and time again. And, you know, there's not a lot of time left. Yeah, loads and, and loads of comments around what could happen, who could be brought into the midfield, Theo. I mean, the, the suggestion here of, of a back three, maybe that gets better out of, of the centre-backs and, and the full-backs. I, I just, I can't see Liverpool changing things that drastically. It, it just, just feels to me like we are going to see this for, for the next few weeks. Maybe, maybe if they get to the World Cup and they are behind and they have to do something drastic and they're forced into it, maybe. But for me, I, I just can't see that much of a change coming. I think it will just be a case of maybe swapping one or two different faces maybe Darwin Nunez, maybe Diogo Jota, who I thought they really missed when he wasn't on the pitch on Saturday. It, it doesn't feel like Liverpool are going to do anything drastic at this point to me. Yeah, no chance of a back three. I think um, Klopp's been not critical of that formation, but he's made his uh, feelings of it known quite strongly in the past. Remember his um, war of words with the Germany manager, Yogi Lowe, last year during the year. So he was like, why Germany playing a back three? So it's a formation he doesn't like. Um, the only way he'll tweak it is if he goes four-two-three-one or maybe four-four-two, like four-two-four, the sort of thing we've seen him do before, as like the occasional tweak. But four-three-three is a system that the manager loves. It's the system Pep Blinders loves. It's the one that works so hard to, and they've got working. And now they just need to find the bodies to get it working again. It would have been interesting to see how Liverpool would have lined up if um, Diogo Jota hadn't been struggling with fatigue during the international break or if Darwin Nunes hadn't come back, I think it was an issue with his hamstring. Like if they had been fully fit and ready to go, we could have seen them two in the front three with Salah, and then it's a completely different game. I know Firmino's got his two goals, but Carvalho is still 
a teenager, only a second Premier League start for Liverpool, like if you're having the, the more senior players in, then you surely seeing something a bit different in attack. But then that doesn't solve the problems that we're seeing in midfield, um, the problems we're seeing in defence. They're just going to have to play through it because even if they find the answer with an 11-1 week, as we thought we'd seen with the Ajax game when Diogo Jota comes in and leads the line and everything works, they are playing too many games for him to just stick with the same 11 for the next six weeks. There is going to be chopping and changing. You need every player to be fit and to step up when it's needed. Um, and then you just need Virgil van Dijk to find form. You need Trent Alexander-Arnold to find form. You need to find a midfield three that clicks, that's covering ground rather than just looking like lost strangers in the middle of the park. Um, Formation-wise, you think sticking with something familiar is going to do the trick. Maybe a 4-2-3-1 would be a bit more solid. Um, but then that's something that's not going to have the same amount of creativity from the fullbacks. Fullbacks aren't being particularly creative at the moment anyway. But it's going to be something they know already. It's relying on one of the strikers now to step up and get some goals and then to give some confidence into the team and the rest of them to play around that. But yeah, I've said it on podcasts before. Uh, they look like strangers on the pitch at the moment. And it's a very strange feeling seeing that when Liverpool have been such a solid team with players that have been part and parcel of this for years now, winning every major trophy going for it all to just fall apart at once. It's very strange. Yeah, that's what makes me all the more convinced, Rich, that it is a case of the whole sort of system really needing a, a little bit of a tweak and certain bits. Maybe if, if say, Thiago is, is better, maybe Fabio Cavallio looks better at the weekend. Maybe if Trent improves, maybe Jordan Henderson doesn't look quite so bad. I think all of these bits are, are interlinked. But lots of comments coming in about a, a 4-2-3-1, as, as Theo spoke there. Is is that the way forward for you? Do you think what, what, what do you think could be the solution to this? I don't think that really matters. If I'm being honest with you, I think the formation is one thing, but you, the players have got to play well in it. It doesn't matter what team he picks. They're not reaching the levels that we've come to expect of them. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Maybe it was still a bit of a hangover from how many games were played last season uh, and, and whether that took something out of the team and, and dare I say, perhaps a bit of underinvestment in the summer when we needed a few fresher pressure faces in just to liven things up a bit and, and, and start to evolve this team a little bit quicker. Can't afford to stand still, can you? None of these other teams around Liverpool are standing still. Um, but the, the bottom line is, it doesn't. You could whatever team you could pick for tomorrow, or everyone here now, it would be full of top quality players who we've, used, we've got used to playing at a very high level consistently. We're just not doing that at the moment. So there's got to be questions asked of the players themselves as to why that is. And if you can continue to concede goals the way Liverpool are, you cannot win anything. You can't win anything conceding goals. We have to sort that out first and foremost. Three goals at home against... By the way, I thought Brighton was superb. By the way, probably one of the best teams I've seen Liverpool play all season quite comfortably. And and now deserve the respect to be fair than Anfield because of the results that they've had over a, a sustained period of time. But they they they, are, they played Liverpool like a fiddle on Saturday, um, and it, it was a bit of a surprise when we found ourselves three two ahead. So so perhaps no surprise that it ended up three all, and and it, that just for me that just come from just just not being tight enough and 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 robust enough at the back. You need to start winning 50-50s. You need to start playing with a higher tempo. They could play six at the back. It wouldn't make any difference if we're not doing the job. So I, I just think I don't I don't sometimes when you look at good players and they're not 
given it or perceived as to not giving it all. You could say, oh, they've become complacent to the situation or whatever. And I don't don't want to say, oh, they think they're too good, too good to lose and whatnot. But there comes a time where you've just got to go back to basics, roll your sleeves up and put a proper draft in. And for me, it doesn't matter what formation you pick, that's exactly what they need to do. Start with Rangers tomorrow. It almost feels like that viral uh, David Moyes comment when he was United manager, or oh, we need to improve our shooting, our passing, our tackling. <laughs> just list everything. It almost feels like we're in that territory at the well, moment. That, that awful. It, 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 it's almost like there's no point in overcomplicating it, is there? There's players that just aren't playing well enough, not working hard enough. The, the control is poor. Passing is, isn't slick. It's going behind people. It's not... First touches are heavy. These are all, they're just fundamentals of football. And, and until you sort that out, they'll, they'll continue to get disappointing results. I think the, the not working hard enough thing is it is one thing. I think for me, Lynchy, they just looked like they couldn't work that hard. They physically weren't able to do it. And I think Roberto Firmino was was one. I don't want to dig him out. Obviously, he scored two goals. The second one in particular was you know reminiscent of, of him a couple of seasons ago where he was full of, of confidence. But for me, Brighton just found it far too easy to, to pass out from the back. And you know, Fabio Cavallio is, is new to that position in the forward line. Roberto Firmino and, and Mohamed Salah are both there. But at times, it just looked like he was four or five yards away from where he needed to. And I suppose that's been the real strength of, of Liverpool. At, Liverpool at their best, they're able to be intense. They're able to, to counter-press high up the pitch and, and win the ball in those positions. But for me on Saturday, that really stood out as, as being obvious that they just couldn't really get close enough to make it uncomfortable for Brighton. It was just far, far too easy. Yeah, and it makes you wonder sort of whether, you know, is there a fitness issue there then? So, you know, and if, if there is, if, if pre-season wasn't enough, if they didn't feel like the conditions in pre-season were good enough to prepare this team for what it needed to do, then that should have been spotted a lot earlier. And also, you know, you then start asking the question of whether that is a consequence of, of underinvestment over the years. And I think, you know, too much has made, been made in previous years of the idea that you have to spend to win. Liverpool have been absolutely brilliant in terms of beating that, really, haven't they? And, you know, they, they've, they've done, done it on a relative shoestring. And I say relative shoestring because they spend a lot of money. But I mean, you know, talking about what Manchester City, what Manchester United are throwing at it, Arsenal even, all the teams around them really are throwing at it. But I think there is a point at which that is starting to come home to roost possibly in terms of some of these players have been completely flogged, not really, you know, the backups haven't been that reliable behind them and therefore have not picked up a share of the minutes. And then maybe you get to this season where you get a slightly shorter, slightly disruptive preseason going in a weird season, actually, that's compressed as well at the start of it. Maybe that starts to, you know, starts to tell in the, the legs of the players and they can't do the things that you're so used to them doing. And it makes them, you know, when and as you say, when you drop that intensity, they suddenly look absolutely useless at every element of the game. It's it's sort of weird to see. Um, and you must, yeah, the, the questions there to be asked is whether whether enough was done in pre-season or whether, you know, Liverpool haven't refreshed his squad, squad enough over recent years to, to give them the legs to be able to keep doing it. And, you know, either case there, you, you correct this negligence, isn't there? There's some element of people sort of resting on the laurels a bit. You know, that, that dreaded word complacency comes into it. I suppose that the, the, the proof will be in the pudding. If Liverpool suddenly improve from here on, on in and, and, and a tactical tweak is made that saves things, then, you know, maybe all the speculation about the fitness is, is, is incorrect and unfair. But I think that's certainly how it looks at the moment because the play, we're seeing from one to 11 consistently looking just miles off it in terms of being able to get to the ball, closing down second balls, 
it just raised a lot of questions about fitness for me. And, and, and yeah, like I say, if that's the case, then I think the recruitment staff and also the coaching staff will, will probably share out the blame for that. When I've yeah, had like, conversations about this with like Liverpool fans out in town and stuff, and they're going, what's wrong? For me, they're, they're physically knackered, mentally knackered. Like, they played so much football last year. Klopp's already said that will catch up on your players. And I know they've come out and said that a few of them, like Van Dijk, said there is no hangover. It's not because we lost the Champions League final. It's not because we lost the Premier League title. Maybe it isn't for how they feel, but because they played so much football and then had that disappointment. And they, the summer break wasn't long enough. The pre-season wasn't long enough. Because they finished the season that much later, having played so much football, and then they were back in at the start of July, but then they were right in competitive-ish football, if you call, count Community Shield, at the end of July, like normally you want six weeks pre-season to get up to speed. And Liverpool notoriously work the players harder than they'll need to work them in the season so they can get up to speed and they're ready. They didn't have that time on the training pitch to get up to those levels and they're playing catch-up. And you think, well, your athletes, they have to have everything down to perfection from diet, how they prepare for everything. Now, this is what, the second year in three seasons where they've not had a long enough pre-season, where they've not had a long enough summer break, when it's a, a very intense fixture list in a shorter space of time because they're playing catch-up on football, with whether it's a pandemic or whether it's the World Cup. These are not prime conditions for elite footballers when these are levels met. The only but, thing I can say off sorry, is that no one else... Coming on that, yeah. coming on that, Theo, they, they knew this was coming, though. They, they yeah, knew yeah. this is what the fixture list looked like. They knew that they were going to have a shortened period to prepare the players. So I, I just... I don't think it sort of flies really as an excuse because I think sort of, you know, there should have been some mitigation for that. There should have been some sort of, you know, preparation for the idea, you know, whether that was, okay, well, we have to, you know, we can't get too many. We have to bring in some some fresh a fresh body in midfield who's of the requisite level of quality just to help them out in that area. Or we have to, you know, we have to get things right in, in certain other areas in terms of how we prepare the team or we have to find a way of playing that, that puts less focus on physical intensity, but none of those things have happened and that, and we're seeing the end result of that, which is just completely disjointed performances where this, this team just looks miles off the level that's hit in recent seasons. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. There's certainly plenty for them to think about and not much time as well before the Rangers game. We'll move on to, to that one next. I'll come to you, Rich, first on, on Rangers and I suppose the question really is is what to expect. You'd imagine that Liverpool will hopefully be able to, to beat them. They certainly will be heavy favourites in the next couple of games in the Champions League group. But what are you kind of expecting from them? I suppose from Liverpool you expect a reaction. But what level are Rangers, do you think? Uh, I think I'm expecting a team that's coming for a day out, to be honest with you. I don't think they're anywhere near the level of Liverpool. Um and Rangers fans are going to be going for Yeah, you. Uh, I know some as well. They're going to be after me. Someone flip that up quick. No, and also, I'm not, I'm not mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Rangers. I'll just backtrack a little bit. But um, <laughs> um, look, they're, they're, just, they're just not at the same level. They've, they've lost their first two games, 3 0 and 4 0. It'd be a bit of a stretch to suggest that that trend was going to change at Anfield. I do think there'll be a completely different proposition at Ibrox. That, that's a. a a whole new ball game. Um, but even with Liverpool where they are, let's not forget Liverpool still scored three goals um, on Saturday against an extremely good Brighton side. And irrespective of what he puts out tomorrow, he should be confident enough to be able to beat 
a, a team that has lost their first two Champions League matches, conceding seven goals and scoring none. So it, it's probably a good game for Liverpool to play. Um, and, and with it coming so quickly, as I say, if, 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 if uh, Jürgen's spoken about losing the rhythm after Ajax, then uh, there's, a, there's a chance to try and readdress that. So um, I just think... For, for, for once, they might have got lucky on fixtures, but um, looking at the Premier League ones, uh, that are probably going to even itself out pretty quickly. Yeah, a couple of, of familiar names, Theo. Ben Davis, Ryan Kent, two former Liverpool players, or, well, player, maybe stretching it a little bit for Ben Davis. But I suppose Ryan Kent as well. Well, yeah, Ryan <laughs> Kent as well. Once, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in terms of, of those sorts of names, I mean, Ryan Kent in particular, probably one of, if not the best player at Rangers, I suppose that kind of is a pretty good gauge of, of where they're at. Yeah, he scored an absolute worldie at the weekend, I think, in their, their 4-0 win over Hearts. And he has been the standout player for them ever since he joined. He's got this pace and trickery. And on his day, he is better than Scottish football. He's good enough to get a Premier League move. He just doesn't have the consistency from what I've seen of him. He's not maybe getting enough goals to be at a top, top club. Maybe in top, top surroundings, he would find that consistency and make that step up. I think he's out of contract next year and Leeds United still find themselves linked with him. So maybe a Premier League move is going to be coming for him in the next 12 months. And this is a good chance for him to showcase his abilities at his former home against a right back. He'll know very, very well, know how to get the better of from training. But then that same right back will know all his tricks as well and how to get the better of him. So that will be a one clash to keep an eye on if Trent does indeed start against him. The rest of the Rangers team, there's been a change up front this year, hasn't it? Like, Morelos isn't the, the big number nine as he was anymore. I think Van Bronckhurst has come out and questioned his attitude or something. Um, I believe they've had a few injuries, so it might be Alan McGregor in goal. But we're talking about levels there. James Tavernier has been their star player for a number of years now. Is he, what, Wigan, Newcastle, somewhere like that? He's not exactly been elite. Premier League player in the past and yet he's a standout right back in Scotland getting 15 goals or whatever from set pieces penalties but they, they have got some decent enough players in there it is a good standard and we can put it down individually 11 against 11 Liverpool are the better team Liverpool are the better squad but Rangers they do find a way to get European results the reason we've got two Scottish teams in the Champions League group stages this year is pretty much because of their performances in Europe over the two three years previously to get the coefficients number up so they could get those two teams back in. Like they've had so many good European games under Gerrard and now Van Bronckhurst. I think they got to the was it Europa League final, was it last year? Yeah. And um, they had deep runs under Gerrard as well when they're picking up these famous results. Maybe more of them are at Ibrooks, but it'll be a great day for their fans. It'll be a great day for their players and they'll want to make a point in this battle of room. They're definitely fun to watch as well, aren't they? I watched a lot of uh, the Europa League stuff last year and and you know, didn't I didn't really make a point of watching Thursday night football. Might have to get used to it the way things are going. Um, but yeah, I, I, to be fair, I, I started wanting tuning in for Rangers games in the Europa League last year because because they were exciting. So um, I'm sure, despite what I said at the start, I'm sure they won't come and I'm sure they won't come and, and just park the bus. Put it that way. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting one, isn't it, Lynch? I mean, it, the the one thing weirdly that I am thinking about this game is even if Liverpool do win, you look at the standard of Rangers. I'm not sure how much confidence you could take from that because a Liverpool win, not not a given, but that that should be should be pretty likely anyway in this one. 
Yeah, but I think, you know, at the moment and the way how chaotic things were at the weekend, I think, you know, Liverpool would take something from winning just because it's, you know, it, it is in the Champions League still. It's it's a game against a side who have had some shocks in Europe in recent years. It's sort of a mouthwatering tie on paper as well. I think Liverpool can take, you know, they'll take what they can get at the moment. Things aren't going well and they need to start building some momentum. And that, you know, the only way to do that is by winning games. And whether that's against a Rangers side, you would mark out as the weakest in this group. It would, you know, would still feel like an important win and a way to set themselves up going into that Arsenal game. I think I think the one thing you would say about Rangers as well is, you know, their job's been made really easier because, you know, nobody expects them to get anything. They have to just turn up and, and, and sort of try and defend deep in numbers and, and, and hit Liverpool on the break. And they've seen so many teams this season, so much the preparation will be around. The idea that so many teams have had success in doing that against Liverpool, there's a, there's a template there for, for Rangers to follow. And if they follow it and do well, there, there is enough, you know, the sufficient level of quality to, to pull off a shock. So, you know, Liverpool have got to be switched on here. I don't think they can take this one for granted, given the, the form they're in and the the sheer lack of confidence because the confidence is something that Jurgen Klopp keeps mentioning as an issue and if you have players who are low on confidence they're giving the ball away in dangerous areas or they're just not quite you know getting the foot to a clearance or things like that things start going wrong and panic sets in and, and Rangers could really exploit that because you know they're, they're there to enjoy themselves and, and, and put a show on at Anfield and against a team who's sort of not at the top level it's usually at and it isn't flying there's you know there's hope that they can sort of set some panic in there and, and maybe even get a result. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, let's hope it's a, a performance a bit more like it was against Ajax rather than Napoli. But before we finish the uh, the podcast, we'll pick our teams for the game. Alison Becker, obviously in goal, Theo, but then the back four possibility for a couple of changes, do you think? Or would you be keeping it the same? Um, Simicast has to keep his place at left back. If Canate's trained enough to get a start, maybe you want to have him in because Rangers do have a lot of pace and he'd offer a bit more pace at centre-back. Even though Van Dijk's out of form, it's hard to see him taken out. And then the big question is, does Trent keep his place? I know I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, with his World Cup place up for uh, grabs, it's win-win in terms of that for Liverpool. But with his place at Liverpool, it's lose-lose. If he's out of form this much, you leave him in, hoping that he can play his way back into form. And we saw it against Brighton, how horribly that can go when a player's on confidence. But then if you take him out, that will batter his confidence even more. Um, I'd probably put Joe Gomez in at right back for this one because it's coming so soon after Brighton, you are going to need to rotate your players for this and just to take him out the spotlight. But I wouldn't be surprised if Trent started. So uh, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um it would be a shock if he was left out of the squad altogether. So that's something we can write out. I don't think a cop is going to pull a Southgate, but he needs to find some form either way, whether it's uh, taking him out and putting him on the bench for a couple of games or finally playing through it. But this is a conversation we've been having for two and a half months now. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I'm going to go with Trent. I'm going to play Joe Gomez as well, actually, but I'm going to play him at centre-back. Rich, which way are you going to go with it? Um, despite conceding three goals on Saturday, I appear to have picked the same back four, uh, which alarms me somewhat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, well, Simicast has got to play, hasn't he? So, um, although he wasn't pulling up any trees uh, on on Saturday, evidently, uh, Matip's probably the most informed defender out of all of them. So, I'd be very reluctant to take him out just for the sake of uh, 
mixing it up a little. Um, so yeah, and 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 we'll we'll keep Virgil in and Trent. I think probably a good game to try and uh, rebuild that confidence, knowing that there's bigger fish uh, to fry on the horizon, and and, and see how he see how he does um, tomorrow. So uh, yeah, tempting to take him out, but I'm gonna gonna leave him in one more time. Lynchy, which way are you going to go? I mean, the reason I've brought Joe Gomez in at centre-back is because I want Matip and, and Van Dijk for the weekend and with so many matches to come, that's going to have to come into the thinking as well for this one. Yeah, but I, I almost wonder whether Jurgen Klopp will think just try and stick with that partnership at centre-half and just play that into some sort of form. And, you know, I don't think Canate is going to be ready to come back in. Joe Gomez had that stinker in Naples, didn't he? So I think it's in terms of centre-half, he'd probably be worried about putting him in. So I just think he's going to try and say to, to Joel Matson and Virgil van Dijk, play these next two and let's see where we're up to. Um, but I do, I do think there may be a change at right-back or I think there possibly should be. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold... You know, we, we've spoke, haven't we, about trying to play him back into form, and it just hasn't worked. And I thought that 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 Brighton performance was was one of his worst in a long time. So I think something needs to change there, and maybe that is, you know, you give Joe Gomez his, his way back into the team because you know we, we we've said previously that that was you know his, he was poor in Naples, but it was it was slightly out of character. His season had been actually been quite good up to that point, so it'd be quite nice to you know to give him a game at right back, and and Trent Alexander Arnold just needs to be pulled out of the firing line and see if that get some sort of reaction out of him and hopefully he can come back against Arsenal and, and look like the player of old. He was good at right back during the final weeks of last season as well. He got a couple of assists, didn't he, Gomez? Um, didn't do much wrong. I think it's just that, like she said, it's just that Napoli performance. Uh, maybe he's more informed than Trent if we do it on that basis. Yeah, you probably want to get that Napoli performance kind of out of the system sooner rather than later as well. I think the longer it is that he doesn't play, the more we'll sort of point back and, and look at, at that one. But uh, we'll move on to the midfield, Theo. It's a, a couple of, of decisions really to, to be made in that area as well. There's been a few comments around our tour. There's been a couple of different shouts as well. But I know uh, myself and, and you were, were threatened on Twitter this morning around picking Jordan <laughs> Henderson, but I am, I, I am going to infuriate social media by picking Jordan Henderson, but at the expense of Fabinho. Yeah, I'm starting a sentence and not knowing how it's going to end, to be honest, because you could say Fabinho's out of form, Henderson's out of form. Oh, it, it's a tricky one. Um, Thiago probably keeps his place, but then at the same time, as you've mentioned, we've got Arsenal coming up. Do you want to save him for Arsenal and give Artemelo his start there. It, it does seem a good game to give Arter his first appearance. But then how ready is he? Like Jurgen Klopp didn't give us an injury update at his pre-match press conference. He wasn't asked about Arter, so we don't know if he's still got a little bit way to go despite those minutes for the under-21s. Um, I can see the sense in having Henderson as the, the number six because he, you know was so poor. But then Henderson wasn't much better either. Um I think if Trent wasn't playing so badly, we'd probably be talking more about Fabinho's lock of form because it seems to be every single week like, Doyley's having a moan about him in his uh, analysis or whatever. So yeah, we'll go for it. We'll infuriate social media. We'll put Henderson in as the number six. And, yeah, I said Thiago keeps his place. I don't really want Thiago and Arta in the same midfield just yet. Oh, so Harvey Elliott has got to be in with his yeah, He's the only one left, isn't he? Harvey Elliott. Yeah, uh, even then, he's not been the best link-up with Trent so far. He did all right when he came on against Brighton. Um, but then that's a midfield that we've seen for, for well, him and Thiago. It's not been the best partnership. You're just hoping for the best. You're hoping something clicks. 
I'll probably change my mind again by the time we finish the podcast. And then again, when we actually get to Anfield tomorrow. Yeah, Elliot, Henderson, Thiago for me. Rich, which way are you going to go? Um, not, none of these are particularly inspiring, are they? Which is uh, <laughs> uh, a bit of a disappointment for the uh, the viewers uh, and the participants, to be fair. But uh, I'm, I'm, I have uh, wilted under the pressure of social media. And I am going to take... mentioned in that. I know, either. yeah, but, <laughs> but I kind of... I, I, I'd be two-faced if I didn't say I came away on Saturday saying captain's only lasted half a game there. You know what I mean? And and, and I to be fair, rather than looking at it as the view of actually bombing him, I'm thinking I am actually looking a game ahead here and thinking I definitely want him playing at the weekend. And um, the the evidence in front of me suggests that it, it wouldn't necessarily get the maximum out and play in both of these games. It's an interesting idea to, to take Fabinho and, and put him at there. And that, that that's definitely got merit. But... Even though um, Fabino basically stank the place out on Saturday, he's um, just holding on to him a bit longer. Uh, they're hoping that that was uh, uh, something that's gonna a moment that's gonna pass. Uh, Tiago's in because he's the only player in midfield I seem to actually enjoy watching at the moment with any level of consistency. Should I didn't watch. enjoy the first twenty minutes on Saturday. I did not enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, the guy next to me was a bit worse for wear, so I was a little distracted for that opening quarter hour. So we might have had the, uh, we might have had the reprieve there. Um, but yeah, so um, Henderson's getting a rest. Fabinho, Tiago, and and although I have um, been a little bit critical of Elliot being in this midfield in, in the shape of it, uh, I'm, I think against Rangers, he's got a good opportunity to tr- try and bring something uh, more in an attacking sense, and uh, let's put him back in. So Fabinho, Tiago, Elliot. Lynchy, Fabinho, Henderson, both, none. Which way are you going? It's so it's so difficult, isn't it? Nobody's in form. Nobody's in form. Um, I think I think I'd, I'd agree in terms of looking one game ahead. So I think that the, the midfield that has to start at Arsenal, whether it's in form or not, is Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho. And I think Jurgen Klopp will maybe look at this as a rare opportunity, being at home, being against the weaker team in the Champions League. You know, despite all the things said we said earlier about the threat of them, um, I think you know it, it's got to be your opportunity to take to rotate because there aren't that many of them, and, and a lot of the games are important coming up. So, you know, Arthur, he's had a lot of training time now. You'd like to think he's up to sharpness. If he is that Thiago light as he was sold to us, then you know this is surely his opportunity to start again. I think Harvey Elliott in a game where you're probably thinking you're going to have a lot more of the possession, you know, his, his ability on the ball and, and quality in midfield areas is, you know, an opportunity for him to show that. And I think it's, so if those two start, then your big decision then is about the, the, the whole, the midfield role. And yeah, Fabinho maybe needs to just be pulled out and get himself ready and get his head on the Arsenal game. But maybe it could be a little bit of a job share between him and, and Jordan Henderson. If you start Jordan Henderson in that role and maybe bring him off around 16, bring Fabinho on, uh, maybe that could serve everyone best in terms of resting people up and, and readying that midfield for for uh, Arsenal, but also maybe being strong enough to, to beat Rangers. Yeah, certainly plenty of decisions. Decisions in the front line as well. I think there's probably four players that I probably wouldn't mind seeing Theo in terms of, of the forwards, but there's only going to be three who start in this one. I'm going to go Salah, Nunez and Diaz, but that does feel very harsh on Diogo Jota. Um, it does, but then... As Jota said when he was fatigued, he hasn't had much of a pre-season. Adrenaline maybe he's carried him throughout Ajax game a bit and through the international break. 
It depends who's fittest out of him and Nunes for who starts the line for me. Uh, Diaz obviously comes back in on the left. Salah keeps his place because even though he's not in great form either, he can't drop Mohamed Salah. Um, who's going to cause more problems to a, a Rangers defence? They're quite big at centre-back, but they're quite slow at centre-back. So you could argue either for Nunes or Jota there, can't you? One as off as one, one off as the other. It just depends at which one of them's fittest. But like, we didn't get this injury update from Klopp at the press conference, so he couldn't really say uh, how Nunes' hamstring's doing or how Jota's doing. Jota got more minutes against Brighton, so logically I'm going to say he's the one who's a bit fresher. So Jota, but it, it could be either of them. They need goals, they need game time. Is it the same for, for you, Rich, one or the other, and then Diaz and, and Salah either side? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I have got Diaz and Salah. Uh, a relief to see Diaz back on the pitch, by the way, on Saturday. Comfortably, for me, Liverpool's best player this season uh, and, the, and the one who's actually exciting people in, in in what we are accepting is not the best atmosphere at the moment and certainly something that needs to be improved. Um, so he's an absolute chewing. Uh, Salah, yeah, on the other side, again, I just don't know what's going on there at the moment. It's just not, I don't know, he's, whether he's a, not really taking players on, is he? He's not, he's not, and some of his touches are occasionally heavy. Now, now the stat, I've seen stats galore that, that will make a mockery of what I'm saying there, but he's another one who's trying to sort of play his way back into into delivering what we what we know he can. So, uh, but but yeah, I, you, I don't think you have many, too many options on that side, really. So, Salah, definitely. And Firmino scored twice at the weekend. It wasn't brilliant in the game, being honest with you. Uh, but again, with one eye on uh, the weekend, I'm possibly tempted to hold Jota back uh, uh, and play Firmino again. Nunes, not convinced the manager uh, is totally satisfied with him yet, to be honest with you. Um, so again, on the bench. If we're doing a game ahead at a time, Firmino loves a goal against Arsenal and Jota likes a goal against Arsenal. Well, that's why I'm starting Jota. Well, yeah, it's Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> that should be Nunes well, in this one. Well, yeah, and maybe it will be, but um, um, I just need a bit more convincing that he's completely got the trust of his manager at the moment, and I'm not 100% convinced of that. Yeah, Firmino would be yeah. the one that I definitely wouldn't play, but there we go. That's why we do the podcast, isn't it? So we can all disagree on these things. Lynchy, which way are you going? Yeah, I think I think Joss is going to start against Arsenal, and I don't see where Nunez gets his minutes and his confidence up if not in this game. So he has to start for me. Yeah, good stuff. Right, just before we finish, then match predictions. I'm going to go positive: two nil to Liverpool, a clean sheet, a couple of goals. I think they'll uh, will be a bit of a reaction. Theo, what do you reckon? Um, not a reaction. They concede first, but they stumble to a two-one win. Brutal, Rich. Yeah, I don't, I don't see where the next clean sheet's coming from, but I do expect Liverpool to win, so I'm going to go 3 1 Liverpool. And Lynchy, a win, a clean sheet, which way do you reckon? Yeah, um, yeah, sure, they're going to start playing well at some point. 2 0 two to Liverpool. Good stuff. Well, uh, we'll leave it there. I think hopefully that's been a little bit of therapy for our viewers and listeners. It certainly has for me. I've enjoyed the uh, the show. If you want Jurgen Klopp and Costa Simicas's press conferences in full, you can check those out on the Blood Red YouTube channel. We've got open training to come a little bit later on this evening and plenty around tomorrow's game as well. Until next time, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.